0: in the world of hollywood movies get greenlit and redlit they get remade and rebooted but we are the ideal i'm sam gash and you are listening to ideal remake thank you for listening to ideal remake we take movies that either have been will be or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be Here at Ideal Remake, we're lying. They're not a slave and you're not traitors. They don't carry themselves like a slave. And look at the way she stands. Probably ex-military. Akrini traitors always threaten before they ask a favor. It's tradition. And your robes are made out of bedspreads. And if you're curious, we do not have a plan B. Luckily, plan A involves Tanner Vogelsang and Lindsay Mitchell. So, Lindsay, Tanner, is Titan AE a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? Oh, it should be. It should be. Yeah, I agree especially because I had to get to that point in the movie and uh, write it down myself because I couldn't find it anywhere on the internet. <laughs> and, that, and that's the best scene in the movie.
1: Yeah.
0: <sighs> Tragedy. Anyway, <laughs> Lindsay, Tanner, uh, welcome to Ideal Remake. Uh, Tanner, you've been a guest before, but Lindsay, this is your first time, so why don't you both introduce yourselves so the audiences know whom Thouest is. I'm Tanner
2: Vogelsang. I am a podcaster, and that's it. We're normies. You always have industry professionals on here, and me and Lindsay, all we do is podcast. <laughs> I work at a grocery store. Not
1: always? <laughs> I am a municipal employee. <laughs> great
0: that's awesome do you want to tell me about your podcast sure
2: (laughs) me and Lindsay are coming here from a podcast called not a fire about you first which is a podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before hollywood has a chance to so it's kind of like this podcast
0: yeah but it's not just movies
2: we cast a wider net um with less thought put into things
0: Yeah, if you'll recall, do you remember what uh, we rebooted when I was a guest?
2: Yes, we rebooted (laughs) the concept of movie theaters.
0: Uh, Yes, we did. Because we recorded a year ago when the pandemic had first started, and we were like, everything will be different, right? No one will feel a a strong desire to return to normalcy and pretend like nothing bad happened ever. Yeah. How is Canada?
2: Oh, we are 3% vaccinated, and only if you're over 40... Uh, and only first dose you can't get a second dose until everyone in the country has their first dose but probably a few people in the country can get their first dose because we don't know how to import anything
1: it's honestly not that bad about that that was that was the
0: craziest thing i heard Mm -hmm. that like the second dose is six months out instead of two weeks or three weeks or four weeks more accurately yeah four weeks yeah here's
2: I'm if if it to comes to be that I would need to get a third dose because the first dose ran, wore out before the second dose could like make it more permanent, I'm fine with that, but just the fact that we're in this situation really makes me angry.
1: <laughs> yeah, we might have universal healthcare, but we should have formed a plan. This is why devolving so much of the healthcare responsibilities to the provincial and territorial levels is kind of a bad idea of no if there's no cohesive idea of what's going on. But, but ultimately, and that ultimately, why... it's all
2: Bill Gates' fault.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not
0: not his fault. It is a lot his fault.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I think that we can all agree that that is why this planet should be blown up.
1: Yeah, the Dredger right <laughs> by uh,
0: by energy aliens <laughs> for very little reason. So Titan AE. When when did you both first see this movie?
1: Oh. I think I saw it on YTV many years after it originally came out, or was it on sci-fi? No, it was on uh, the Space Channel. Yeah, it was on the Space Channel, and I was a teenager, and I thought it was cool, but then I saw other stuff. I, I mean, I'm pretty
2: sure I saw it in theaters in summer 2000, when Earth will
0: be destroyed. I was the right age for this movie, so there's a good chance I also saw it in theaters, All I know is I rewatched it within the last 10 years, and I was like, I have seen this before, but have no recollection of it at all. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but for whatever reason, it lodged in my brain of, I think I remember this vaguely holding up, but then I rewatched it again a couple nights ago, and it doesn't hold up as well as I thought it did.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I remembered it being better, and I'm not saying it's bad, just that...
1: (laughs) The script is weak. That's the problem. Yeah, very. I mean... I, I,
2: I'm pretty it, sure it's a Franken-script.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Based on the names attached to it, it's definitely a Franken-script. It, uh... Well, look, because it's, it's an and, and then an and. And that means that it was written separate... It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, ho- Hollywood logic. Which you already
2: know. Doesn't matter. Watching Tiny A.E., um, e, fun nostalgic times, then boom, screenplayed <laughs> by Joss Whedon.
0: Yeah, which... That... That surprised me, although the John August name also surprised me. Uh, John August has a podcast called Script Notes, which is about writing. And he's also the writer behind Big Fish oh, and hmm. the most recent... And uh, Go! And the most recent Aladdin live action movie. Oh. hm. Yeah, O is correct. Um, <laughs> that is also a bad movie, but Big Fish is brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yes. It felt to me when watching this that it was a lot of this happens then this happens then this happens and not this happens therefore this happens therefore this happens it was more a sequence of events than an actual through storyline
1: yeah yeah th- like at one point i felt like there was a scene that should have been placed earlier to have made the m- more narrative sense probably oh god yeah. Which
0: which scene?
1: Uh it's the one where Kale and Corso are like together they're flying the ship. Like I thought that that should have been like a bit earlier to establish a better rapport between those two characters and establish a mm, stronger connection. So the betrayal made it hurt a lot more.
0: <laughs> so it wasn't, hey, you're a father figure immediately next scene, you have betrayed me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah it uh fair see um i'm i'm
2: of the opinion that there's definitely two versions of the movie in there and we can make them both coexist but i feel like there is one version of the script where it was kind of like a um a national treasure situation where they have to go to several different places to update the map to like following the breadcrumbs to get to the titan as opposed to just getting to cesarine as like the one patch and then they immediately go to the next place with like A detour for being captured which also meant nothing
1: yeah that's and and
2: there's a version where they don't have to go anywhere they can just go straight to titan and that's like where the the flying scene fits in with kale and corso where it'd be like because they're not as much of a race to get somewhere they have time for the bonding moment and they decided let's take those two cool set pieces and put them in here and not actually consider how they fit with the rest of the
1: film yeah. So, a uh, funny thing about this, I uh, I watched the movie and then I watched SF Debris review of the movie, where he does like two parts, where he breaks down like how the film was made, and then does his actual opinionated review. And apparently, one of the big inspirations was Treasure Island.
0: Well, I was gonna yeah. say, based on Tanner's description, it's either National Treasure or Treasure Planet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, we have Treasure Planet. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think we can also do this is Treasure Planet. I feel like we need to have National Treasure going from point to point to point. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Treasure Planet and tay destroyed each other, unfortunately.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is too bad, because Treasure Planet is good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Treasure Planet ah, came out on it top, quality-wise. Treasure Planet is why yeah. I ended up reading the original book, and why I like Robert Louis Stevenson. I,
0: it wasn't until I was sitting down to watch this, I was like, this is a Don Bluth movie? It literally says... From, like, the director of Anastasia. Because those are two similar properties. I mean, Kale is just buff blonde Dimitri. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the the best thing Kale has going for him is his haircut. And I think we can all agree with that. Allow me to part my bangs thusly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're not wrong. It's, it's a very Jonathan Taylor Thomas haircut just on a space jerk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And now that it's I, weird. it's a
0: weak movie yeah
1: it's a weak movie with good animation because like i did catch even the first time i had seen it not knowing that don bluth had made it that this was this looked similar to anastasia in terms of like the animation of the humans and how they move
0: i agree i mostly agree with that at times it felt like the animation felt um a, a little weirdly paced yeah like, it would feel like things would be... Like, the CG animation would be moving really, really fast, and then the 2D animation would feel like they would be a, li- a little bit clunkier.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: I don't know. There, they definitely were trying some
2: stuff with the animation, but, like, there didn't seem to be motivation behind it. Like, there, there's there are definitely a few scenes where people are off-model, and there's they do the CGI for the ships, which looks good, but then there's some scenes where it's, like, all of a sudden Corso is, like, a cell shaded model, and... There's no reason because it's just doing like this weird tracking shot, and there there are like good. There's good cinematography within the animation at some points, but then there's other points where like just doesn't make sense. And if you compare it to some of the anim- the big animated movies of today, like A Spider Horse or a Mitchells Versus the Machines, when they like push the limits of the animation, there's like meaning behind it. Whereas with Treasure Planet, I, I feel like if they held back a tine. little, the animation would have been better. <laughs> or sorry, animation. <tine, laughs> <you shit. laughs> yeah you know i I wonder how many parents <laughs> took their kids to one thinking it was the other
0: We all need to go see Woody Allen be the lead in ants right like that that's that 's what bug 's life is
2: <laughs> I forgot that was woody Allen
0: <laughs> yeah, I also forgot until it came up in some conversation mm-hmm. I feel like we have to briefly talk about this movie because I kind of want like i don 't want to go through like point by point by point and go, man. Kale's dad is sure Ron Perlman giving the most lackluster performance of his career. (laughs) The
2: the least Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman that you could ever hear.
0: It's like, it's like he was explicitly told to be as boring as possible. Like, there's no inflection in his voice and it's Ron Perlman.
1: Yeah. He's Ron Perlman. (laughs) Like, there was more emotion in his opening monologue for like the Half-Life series than there was in this performance. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah so Ron Perlman is Matt Damon's uh space dad well no he's Matt Damon's earth dad and then uh, they've been working on this special ship but oh no they shouldn't have been working on the special ship because evil aliens are like well we're gonna blow it up blow up the whole planet because earthlings can't be alive if they can do this sort of thing and uh they they do this movie starts with them blowing up the planet earth and by god as far as I'm concerned that is a strong opening yes
1: yes <laughs> apologies for the rest of the movie yeah it
0: it's a strong opening and, but, and like Kale gets separated from his dad because his dad takes the ship away into space and hides it and we never see him again alive we never see him alive again and then <laughs> Kale is like oh no my dad left me I'm going to be an angsty teenager about it and go be Matt Damon in space. I'm going to go listen
2: to butt rock at the space dump.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically. And, it, and then he and this, like, his space caretaker, who he doesn't go back for and goes blind, ends up that's, like...
2: <laughs> that's another thing. Is that I think I think a space caretaker, um, who's like an anteater man played by Tone Luck, who's like the sexual lizard in Ferngully... I feel like he was supposed to die in one of the drafts, but they forgot to animate him dying. And so in the original, he's like, Kale, just go. Just go, Kale. Shoo. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. He seemed to be doing okay eating his living food. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's all his character is. He's like, he, he raises Kale. Kale doesn't, like, just refers to him by his first name. And then as soon as another opportunity comes along, he says, hey, Kale, beat it. As one does. Kale, you gotta go be the Chosen One. Basically, you have to go be the Magic Boy. Because what happens is Corso, uh, another human- Ooh, aliens don't like human people- uh, Shows up and says, Hey, remember that ring your dad gave you? It's a secret map, and only you can unlock it because you're the special boy. And we're gonna use that to go find the magic special ship. And you're the only one who can do it, Kale. Not like me- who turns out that I knew the code to hit the buttons to turn on this ring, or I could just take your blood. No, we need you. <sighs> it's fine. I mean, the other problem is that, like, K- like they literally introduce Kale as, like, this tinkerer and this guy who's good with machines. It's in the beginning of the movie, and then for some reason it's at the end of the movie and never in the middle of the movie. But basically, Kale is, like, he tinkers, like, he, he he's a good mechanic and he's good with machines. And his ring is a machine and he doesn't, activate it what like the first thing i would change is that kale figured out how to turn this ring on years ago yeah
1: so like yeah that makes sense either that could lead to getting the dredge on his scent or he decides to seek out someone who knows like what is this supposed to do yeah
2: see i i would i think it's still better that like corso had to track him down because kale his, like So, in this version, Kale activates the ring, he puts it on, he sees like the, the spirograph compass on his hand, but he doesn't know that it's a map, because it doesn't look like a map, really. But he knows it's something, so he's like, okay, I gotta like get off the space station to figure out what's going on with this. And so that's why he's working and doing the horrible menial stuff, because it's the only way he can make a living to get off of Tau Station. And then Corso shows up and is like, how about I just take you, because I've been looking for you anyways. And also the dredge have killed everyone here, so...
1: Also, can we just, like, talk about Corso's motivations where, like, he, he starts off being, like, super idealistic, like, hey, this is the last chance to save humanity, and then it's revealed that no he's going to sell the Titan for a quick buck. When we know that, like, Kale is a cynical young man, and he's, Corso is using the path of most resistance of trying to appeal to his better angels, instead of just going, like, hey, let's make a quick buck
0: and also the beginning of the movie starts with them trying to kill Corso if it if it, if Corso had a deal with the dredge this feels like the wrong way to go about a having a deal with the dredge and also everyone keeps making deals with the dredge and then the dredge don't honor it and everyone's like well you can't make deals with the dredge and then everyone keeps trying to make deals with the dredge it makes no yeah. sense the dredge just say stuff
1: yeah yeah like maybe if there's going to be a deal with someone it should be some third party and the dredge are just like I don't know a wild card or they're the evil empire. I don't know.
0: Yeah. So the change I would make to the beginning of this movie in my suggestion is I think this is something that Kale has been working on for years. It's like a Rubik's cube or it's a puzzle. It's a, it's a millennium puzzle that he's finally solved after all these years (laughs) (laughs) and doing so unlocks this map. And he followed, like he, he, he machines together a ship that gets him to where he thinks is the end of the map. But it turns out that's just the first stop. And it's there. He finds Corso Corso, who also only knew to get to that. Like Corso had a piece of information, Mm -hmm. but can't do anything with it because he doesn't have the map. And so he gave up years ago and has just been uh, drinking this whole time but yeah, as soon as kale shows up with the map all of a sudden you son of a bitch i'm in let's rock and roll and he gets a crew together yeah. but it like he 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 became broken over those years and even though like he's going to be inspired and do this thing the crew he gets together isn't great there's there's gonna there's gonna be a preed
1: yeah
0: because just like lindsay says Corso's shift of being father figure to ooh, I'm the secret bad guy this whole time, back to being the father figure at the end, is it's so abrupt as to make no sense. The only reason that it works for me is because it's the only way to explain why he would still have Preed on his ship after all these yeah. years. Because Preed is a monster. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think it's kind of an artifact from when this was more of a treasure. Treasure Island in Space script because Corso is definitely the long supposed to be the Long John Silver.
0: Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The thing with Long John Silver is that he was telegraphed very early in the book in almost all adaptations of not being on the level. <laughs>
0: Because he is literally meeting the characteristics that you are told to be cautious of. He's like,
1: oh, yeah, it's that guy. Yeah, but he also ah, wants to draw Jim in and he realizes that Jim needs a father figure because he just lost his. Yeah. He needs a father figure and a little pink floaty
0: alien. Which one are we talking about?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the difference between um, Silver and Corso would be like Silver... Is doing it because he has like just a plain old a good side deep down. Whereas Corso is like you could say that Corso's motivation would be I have to make it up to my friend. What was his name? Uh, no,
0: Ron Perlman.
2: Sam. I have to make it up to my friend Sam Tucker. Like honor his last wishes by protecting his kid.
1: And that's a good motivation. Yeah.
2: And then that also it. Does all we we have to do a little bit Treasure Island. Because then that, that would explain why anyone's on his ship, period. Because even the movie doesn't explain... So the movie explains humans are all refugees, and so none of the aliens like them, because like, they, they don't have a homeworld, they're just drifter bums, and there's a good chance that if there's a human around, you're going to bring the dredge down on you because the dredge don't trust humans. So why was Corso able to assemble... I mean, of three people who aren't human, he was able to assemble Stiff and Goon and Preed. And we know Preed is there just for the money, so he can betray them. But why? Why do Stiff and Goon care? But in this version, we can say, well, Stiff and Goon are in it for Stiff is in it for the money. Preed is in it for the money, but in an evil way. Goon, you could say, is in there for the science, at least.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's reasonable. I can agree with that. I mean, it's also possible of like, well, we don't. Like, in the movie, it's Corso shows up as, like, I'm here to rescue you. But we don't know really what he was doing before that. Other than just, like, I guess spending the last 20 years trying to track down Kale. But you can't feed a ship of five people by tracking down Kale. Yeah. Yeah. I live in L.A. We're the Kale capital of the world. It is not that profitable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my immediate thought was... um... Maybe some mercenary work or something like uh, from Black Lagoon where they're kind of doing stuff for very highly illegal stuff. But they're mostly like the middlemen, delivery people, smugglers, that sort of stuff.
0: Got it. So they're Firefly. (laughs) Um, It it makes sense then that Joss Whedon's a writer on this, which that was so weird. But honestly, it is like if their crew is firefly in space, that kind of makes sense. They live on the outskirts, not one of them has a home. If we keep seeing the same aliens everywhere else, but each one of the aliens we see on the ship it's just the only one of that alien we've seen. Because it's, if the Dredge have this planet destroying capability they could have destroyed other planets Mm -hmm. and these could be people from those other planets. Mm -hmm. And whatever it is, that's what brings them together. You know, like uh, uh, Kid Cosmos which is a great show and people should watch it on Netflix. (laughs) I that 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 kind of works for me. So anyway, Kale joins up with this crew and they go to a location on the map, which is a hive mind of bats. Yeah, They're not necessarily a hive mind. Or they sure don't care when one of them gets killed, and a lot of them get just straight up murdered. Yeah. That's... Well, you
2: you could go ahead, Lindsay.
1: Well, my thought was that I don't know. There's some sort of level of spirituality. When I watched it, I got a level of like, there's something mystical about this place or something really special about this place, but why would they help Kale? Like, what did Sam do for these people? What is the connection? Why are these bat creatures so important? There's gotta be some sort of connection to Sam. Yeah. Actually, I just I, thought okay of something.
2: Um, Go for it. Based on both of those things that you have recently said. that uh, So, it's the, they find the bat people, the the gal or the gal, gowl, um, they find them on a place called the Broken Moon of Seshireen. What if the dredge broke that moon?
1: Okay.
0: Makes total sense like, to me.
2: Great. So, problem not, solved. Not like, not to, I think, pretty sure we have already spoiled it, but it's kind of a reveal at the end. But the Titan Project is a plan to create a new planet. And so what if Sam is kind of able to recruit the gowl and you know, one or two other races that we stop by just in a montage sequence to give more gravitas to the search. Like, they have also been, like, rendered planetless by the dredge. And so Sam's like, well, humanity's probably not going to survive, mostly, maybe 10% of us. So there's going to be plenty of room on this planet for you, too.
0: There's also the possibility that every single person that joins up is is someone or from a community of someones that also need a new planet like titan is supposed to create a new planet but it doesn't have to only create one presumably it could create more than one planet like the end of the movie has this new planet earth and then titan flying around it it's not like it formed around Titan. yes because earth wasn't destroyed when they made this ship presumably they were making this ship to go make other planets in other places Mm -hmm. so it could it, it makes perfect sense to me that they were going to make a new moon or a and new uh, whatever. that would
1: actually give a perfect explanation to why the Dredge feared humans in particular. They 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 now have this new creation technology and could challenge them in the future for other purposes.
0: Yeah. Well, at the end of the movie, uh, the, the Titan is out of power and it sure needs a lot of energy. What? You're saying the Dredge are made out of energy? They're made of pure energy. Well, we can just suck them all up into the titan and now we're using them as our batteries and like i, I, that's I do information kind of that, that. would have been useful i do too but it like i actually really love it because it also gives the dredge motivation mm-hmm. like they're not just space sticks that show up to blow shit up because that because they don't like people no they're specifically afraid of humans because they found this technology that can turn them into batteries that's a huge problem tell us like that movie never really explicitly says that
2: i mean i I will say yeah the movie doesn't explicitly but apparently uh in the novelization they go into like lore for the dredge and explain that oh yeah all the dredge aren't a hive mind they all have unique personalities but all the personalities are instinctively driven to get rid of other species because they only care
0: about advancing the dredge
1: they might as well be a hive mind i don't like that i Yeah. yeah and and
0: also i hate that yeah like that's terrible. That's like oh, well we're we're driven to be to we're we're driven to destroy all uh all other sentient life. That's not fun. Like I'd love it if the Dredger are off living their own space energy life and then they're like, "Well, there's this thing that could literally kill us all. We have to stop it." And it gives them new a new militaristic mission.
1: Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: Yeah, I that that's something that I find more interesting. It, but but it does it
2: it how do I word this properly? <laughs> Kale definitely did a genocide.
0: Well, that's only if we assume that all of the dredge were on that one ship. That's fair, but it's,
2: it's easier to swallow that with the assumption that the, all like all of the dredge were driven to destroy humanity and it wasn't out of self-defense.
0: I mean... Like, I, I, I love a
2: morally gray story, well, the... but we, we have to kind of rewrite the whole ending if we are to make the dredge a little less... Like always, evil.
0: I mean, look that whatever drove them to be always evil, it made them evil. They are evil now. So, no one's born evil. Like I think that it could certainly be this thing where they weren't evil, but then like, like twisted and contorted and became evil. Uh, it like in this quest to not die, and it's they've long since forgot that. And like, even though they wiped out humanity, and humanity is dead as far as they're concerned. They're still going and doing evil things, like blowing up this moon and blowing up Goon's planet, all this other stuff, just because now this is who they are. Like, Like, they became this thing.
1: The simple answer is that they're just the current empire right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, did, uh, have either of you read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series? Yes. No. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You're gonna have to
1: spoil a whole bunch for me.
0: It's not a spoiler. It's it's a, like a plot point for the third book, that there is a, a race of aliens that basically they live on a planet that's basically always cloudy. And so they never see the stars. They never look up. They never imagine. And then something comes in and crash lands on their planet. And they're like, what? And they rework it and figure out how to get past their own atmosphere. And all of a sudden they look out into this big, expansive, beautiful universe. And they're like, well, no, we can't have that. And they build this robot army that's goal is to go and wipe out everything in the universe that is not their home planet.
1: Hmm.
0: And so basically this robot, I think they're called the crickets or something, go out and like wipe out, like their whole goal is to wipe out everything. And then you go back to the core home planet and the actual people that live there were like, oh, oh, huh. Anyway, and it's like no concept of, like they 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 literally, literally unleashed the greatest evil on the universe and didn't even realize it was happening because literally they just believed in like the core sanctity of their like overcast planet, which I'm and I might be getting absolutely all of that wrong. It's been fifteen years. No, since I No, no, that all this. sounds correct. Cool, but something like that where it be, like unleash this thing that is like the the height of evilness without really realizing. It's like even the um the the episode of Justice League with the. The, the 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 microbots that like th- it was two warring alien factions and one of them made something that eats matter and turns into uh, what is the name of this episode it does like it what with all the little uh, robot aliens and like they, they turn things into robot aliens and like they literally devoured their own homeworld and like made it a bunch of other ships and spread out and it's just something that's just going through a program it's not inherently evil but it will destroy absolutely everything it touches it's
1: almost like locusts
0: yeah yeah
1: we could do that. The dredge are uh, just space focused.
0: Like Actually, yeah, that works. I'm good with that, yeah. too. Apparently, uh, they're delicious. Mmm,
2: um, <laughs> <laughs> chocolate-covered
0: dredge. <laughs> but, like, with that said, I think we need more fun space locations for them to stop yes. at. I think yes. the first space location is the one with Corso. I think the second location is one with the hive-mine bats. Mm-hmm. But what we don't have is a third location... And I didn't ask either of you to prep this ahead of time, but I think we need a third location before we actually get to the, the ship, and I'm open to suggestions as to what it is. I would say that
2: the bats should be the third location, and then the second location can be the flight, and like another reason they do the flight is like, that could be revealed to be another step in the map.
0: That they had to fly through a certain... Like, uh, they find a nebula and they had to fly through a nebula in a certain way?
2: They had to... No, like, the the wake angels, the the space whales. They had to, like... They have to earn their trust or something, or they won't show them how to update the map. And so, how to do that? Well, you do some cool flying with them. While Butt Rock plays.
1: <laughs> so, uh, speaking of the Butt Rock, I saw the uh, trailer for Tiny mm-hmm. Yee, where they played... <laughs> 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 where they played that creed song <laughs> the song that my brother has requested to be played at his funeral what <laughs> i did not watch the
0: trailer what are you talking about you know
1: take me can you take me higher
0: <laughs> oh god that is not something to play in a space movie oh uh, that no, is so no, we- hacky <laughs>
2: I will say, just just like I said, the Digimon had to keep the ska, Titan A.E. remake has to keep the butt rock.
0: Uh, uh, why, though?
2: Because the aesthetic. The aesthetic, well, Sam. I,
1: you know what? We'll but the get, aesthetic like, is bad. I don't know. There's some rock out there that kind of sounds like butt rock, but it's actually good. Let me look it up. Yes, it actually. exists. I mean, I'm all for power cords. Yeah, power but... cord, that sort of stuff.
2: <laughs> it's it's one level above butt rock, which I guess would be lower back rock.
0: <laughs> I mean, you 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 keep saying butt rock like I've ever heard that term before this conversation. Think
2: it Nickelback? sounds like when you're riding in a jeep.
1: <laughs> it's like Nickelback and right. oh, what was? It? They're called Theory now. They used to be theory of a dead man one bad son one bad son is a really good band i think they're canadian and big we have taking
2: over the awesome. podcast sam it's a music recommendation <laughs> podcast now <laughs>
1: And and I mean, sons.
0: I'm not going to do well. I thought you were I thought you're going to say it's a it, you've taken over the podcast. It's a Canadian podcast now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look, we will push the
2: cancon as hard as possible. I mean, you can. I don't think I have any Canadians.
0: I have Canadian dual citizenship. I'm I'm already there. Nice. Uh but anyway, so the movie as it exists, we haven't even talked about Akima, you know, the uh the lady of Asian descent who clearly must means she has to have purple in her hair. Mm-hmm. Right? That's yeah. the rule.
2: And you know looking at looking at the bare minimum of her character, it actually I feel would make more sense if she didn't because she's not like they're clearly trying to invoke that ah, oh, she's the cool Asian girl, she's counterculture basically even though there is no culture to be counter of at this yeah. point in time
0: that's the problem, like yeah. how is she dyeing her hair like i ugh, i I would be more willing to buy it if, like, she's from the colonies and they found some other species of alien where, like, there's, like, so convergent evolution that, like, her parents were literally from two different planets. And she is half human, half alien, and that's why her hair looks like that. That would be more interesting to me. Other than it's just she's an Asian lady voiced by... Drew
1: Barrymore. Drew
0: Barrymore. Yes. So... It is... Which
2: is why for this version I've cast Scarlett Johansson. No.
0: I mean... <laughs> it's a choice. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm gonna come back at you with some Emma Stone, at, but whatever. It, <laughs> at
2: least she it, apologized. It,
0: fair. Uh, that's true. She At least she didn't double down. <laughs> um, I can play anything. It, she doesn't do anything other than be pretty. Like, she contributes... Nothing to the plot. I mean, like when Akima, the person who's been traveling with Corso for literal years and Kale get captured, the only thing Corso says is we need to get back Kale, not the person who is literally your friend. Yeah. And like if that's not an indicator that Corso is going to be evil, it's pretty bad. And then there's the scene on the Hive Bat planet where, where Preed. It, where Creed. Where Preed is like, oh, I see a single insect. I will devote my entire attention to making sure this thing is dead, to the exclusion of the one job I have. hmm I mean also that's, super creepy. I verse. would argue
2: that's at least in character for Preed.
0: Yeah. It is. I agree. He's the one that's clearly evil, and it's telegraphed so hard.
1: Yeah, like he starts off by being basically a sex pest. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad
0: (laughs) and like i don't think he should be someone who's just pure evil for the sake of being evil i think he's someone who i think it's more interesting if he is how do i phrase this opportunistic opportunistic and Mm self-interested like i don't think he's evil i think he's like well if i don't do like i think you guys are going to die i do not want to die so i am going to betray you and i find that more interesting
1: He's self-centered and also really short-sighted.
0: Yeah. And, you know, generally dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Cor- Corso says that, oh, we we don't want to let in the other two people on our crew. I should probably immediately kill them.
1: Yeah. Like, it.
0: So it's
1: there's, there's shit about Preet that is so dark for a G-rated film. Uh, yeah. Or a PG-rated film.
2: Yeah. I'd be shocked if they were able to get away with a G
0: on this. Yeah. I will let you know right now. It is... It, you're right, it's yeah. PG. Okay. Even then. And also, I don't know... Like, the two posters that exist for this movie are, like, shadows of Kale and Akima holding hands while Kale is making a, like, a really bad grimace face. <laughs> and then the the other poster for this movie is just, like, Kale's school picture.
1: Yeah, they really didn't... They did not give a shit in the in the marketing department. They didn't know what this movie was. Yeah.
0: I mean, they didn't know and,
1: what
2: this movie was making it either so.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting movie. Like I again, I like the concepts here. It's got good bones. Yeah, the idea of going out into space to find this ship. You don't know that like and to find this ship that has the ability to make planets to restore the planet of your people is amazing. Of course we make it in the middle of freaking nowhere in an ice field, not near a sun, so everything on that planet is going to immediately die. But the important thing is, you can.
1: Yeah, like, it would actually make more sense if it was, say, if a sun-like star wasn't available, maybe planet nearer near a gas giant that's got rings around it, because gas giants emit a lot of heat, they have a lot of light, from reflecting it from another star, and there's a lot of material that you can then make your planet from.
2: I, I've always given Sam the benefit of the doubt and figured that he put the Titan in the ice rings so that, like, the planet could immediately start cooling because of them and then just assumed the rest, like, it was just in a Goldilocks zone and would be able to stay habitable after that.
1: Don't know how the science would work, but... My,
0: my theory was that literally this is where Earth used to be. Like all of that ice is Earth's former oceans, and it mm. it's the it's the foundation uh, trilogy thing of like where's the last place you would expect to look? Oh. Well, this is where the planet Earth used to be, so it's already in the Goldilocks zone. Oh, and I... these are already Earth's oceans. Mm-hmm. So why not go back to the exact place where we know life on Earth can be sustained? And of course that's the perfect place to hide the ship because it's the last place anyone would look.
1: And it's not been that f- that long since Earth was blown up so the material is still around to make the- a new Earth. Mhm. Yeah.
0: It's still caught within the residual gravitational whatever. It-, it even could be rotating around the moon.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what's left of the moon? <laughs> I mean, we
0: yeah,
2: I'm... we're not. We don't have to be super hard science. Like, we're not bringing Larry Niven no. in on this. But you could even say because I think I feel like the ice ring sequence, like when they're like uh, Kayla and Akima are trying to hide from Corso and the others, is too good a sequence to drop. Yeah. So we definitely need to have. Like, a a Full. Ring of ice around the planet, but you you could say something like, "Oh yeah," and when the dredge hit the planet, whenever they fire that big energy weapon, it causes such a chain reaction of heat that it creates like a cold zone around that causes any moisture to instantly freeze. Something like that.
0: I'm perfectly happy if the energy weapon just turns the solid into energy, and all of the liquid is still there. So it in the vacuum of space froze. Yeah, simple as that. I I want to
2: rewind a bit back to characters in terms of like. Making them actual characters instead of just people who were there. Agree. <laughs> um, oh, the Go for it. Because the other thing about Akima, she 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 does have two like informed attributes, which is that she's a good pilot, and so that's something that at least she and Kale have in common. And she's nostalgic for Earth stuff, so her motivation for joining the crew. Because I would say that she shouldn't. It makes more sense for her to be a newcomer to the crew, and like like everyone's a newcomer, instead of her being stuck around Corso for who, who knows how long. Like, her motivation can be, oh, wow, like, this is, like, a search for humanity's, like, future. Obviously, I'm motivated by this. Let me grab my two huge suitcases full of Earth memorabilia.
0: <laughs> I I think that's fun. And I do think that's something fun that we should be uh, attributing to. And, like, she keeps... Like, I would even give her a little bit of the, of the goon distractibility of, like, oh, look at this. Yeah. This is from this era of Earth. This is from this era of Earth. And because the planet exploded that stuff gets scattered everywhere and it gets picked up all over the place. Yeah, mm. I love um, stuff like that. And I think she, that would be absolutely interesting. And then with
2: Preed, like you said that his motivation could just be, I don't want to die. But I was thinking that he would, he's always been in it for the money and his goal the entire time was okay. Like they hired him, like you'll get a payout if you help us find the Titan. And he's thinking, okay, yeah, I'll get the payout from finding the Titan. Then I'll kill everyone. And then I'll sell the Titan. Yeah, great, fair, it's, I love it. It's a ship that makes planets. There's definitely going to be a buyer.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we learned anything from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's, hey, making planets is real good business. <laughs> uh, and then we've got Stith and Goon, um, the kangaroo, alien, and uh, glasses. <laughs> Janine Garofalo and... Um, uh, 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 John Leguizamo. Uh, John, John Leguizamo, Leguizamo. Yeah their planets are blown up and they gotta go where the job takes it because just like all the, the Earthlings, aliens don't like planetless people because aliens are third grade bullies. And if you're down, they kick you. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Fine. Or at least in this area of the galaxy. Like, it's very much a, a, a poor turning on poor as opposed to uh, any sort of logic. Yeah,
2: like, so, so that's the but, other thing that bugged me about just the setting was that there was no sense of galactic community, and I'm not saying there has to be a full Federation, but you see all these aliens walking humans, but the humans are the only species that you see more of one of at any point. And it's like, you get no sense that there's any kind of interstellar like infrastructure that humans are being like gatekept from. It's just being mean to them. And, you know, we don't have to go on a whole exposition for it in the film, but just make it clear that, like, well, here's the dominant species on this station, here's the dominant species, like, on this one. It's like, this, this is a place run by this planet, and it just so happens to be, like, a station that's in orbit around it, and humans can come to the station, but we're not gonna let them onto the surface. Gross.
1: Yeah. kind of.
0: That's part of the reason why I think we need to have something other than the, uh, the Space Angels, for our additional stop, because I feel like we need to have another stop where we can see the status quo in the galaxy. Because we really just have that one station where we originally meet Kale, and then we add the station, I guess, where we meet Corso. But I, so I get, I guess, we added it already, but still.
1: Well, there's the there's Kale station. There's the station where they pick up Akima after she got launched out of the dread ship mm-hmm. because they didn't need her. Right, and that was that's
0: that's the movie as that's the movie as we have it now yeah yeah um so in in our version do we need to have Kale and akima get captured by the dredge like what point does that that literally serves no point yeah yeah it's it's a plot cul-de-sac
1: yeah like
0: i like i think it's more interesting like i get it oh no they've been captured but i think it i think that causes more problems than it solves because yeah there's no reason that the dredge just don't immediately kill them both like put her in a crystal and shoot her into space they have guns and their guns vaporize people. So, like, I can't, like, I, mm-hmm. I can't think of a reason why they need to get captured. I think it serves no purpose. Like, I think it can even be just, the fact that they're following this path leaves behind a light trail that the dredge are following. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we find out that the dredge are, like, systematically going through and kind of blowing up all the places that they were because they're blowing up because they were there. Mm-hmm. And the dredge are bad. What if
2: one of the like the, one of the places to patch the map, it is like on a surface, and then that surface area, is, or that planet side sequence, can be when we get the intelligent guard scene.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm perfectly happy to have the intelligent guard scene be at the Corso planet or someplace in the middle where it's like the like the guard literally is designed not to let uh, inferior alien species in.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's hinted, or no, it's explicitly stated that slavery is a thing in at least this part of the galaxy so i don't know maybe maybe there's something in a marketplace maybe there's something that they have to buy something that they have to get through and they need something to trade and they get to see like what is the actual status quo or we the audience get to see what the actual status quo is at least in this area of the galaxy
0: i i would even be perfectly happy if we kind of like cannibalize that the market scene from Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Okay. Yes. Which is a bad movie, but that scene is good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's a scene where there's one layer of reality and then there's a second layer of reality that the the poor aren't really able to participate in. And it's like going back and forth between these different layers of reality. Yeah.
1: Yeah, cuz like one of the good things that even the modern Star Wars movies has been at showing is like what the status quo is when it comes to like where yeah. everybody is. In terms of a hierarchy,
0: yeah, sometimes you need to see the planet that the rich people live on, mm-hmm. sometimes that's important. um is there anything that either of you would change about kind of like the finale like when we because like, other than like the abrupt changes in character, I largely think the end of the movie works. it just isn't earned at all,
2: yeah, yeah, I think we need better motivation for Corso turning on them
1: yeah, like and well, that's why I I'm, had like, an
2: idea for why
1: well. <sighs> go for it (laughs) my initial thought and i'm gonna say i'm partially influenced by the review from sf debris but like maybe have corso be cynical at the start about the whole situation where it's like humanity's on its last legs maybe a few thousand of us are going to survive into the future let's just find this sell it for spare parts and try and you know live comfortable lives but being around kale you know warms him up to this idea of maybe we can salvage humanity and salvage these other planets and fuck the dredge because i'm doing this for my best buddy sam and also like establish what the actual relationship between him and sam was like were they actually that close or was it like a mentor student situation best friends <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's my idea. I mean, I I that's do like idea. that, and
2: I think I think building off that, we can like have him grow more. Him and Kale both grow a little bit more idealistic over the course of the movie. My thought was have them find out that the Titan is a planet creator before the actual finale. Like have them find out at the last stop before they find it, and then they find that out, and Chris will be like, "Oh, that's it." Like. Because my idea would, Corsel would be thinking, oh, it makes them make a, it's gonna make a planet. Well, th- but the reason there is no worth is because the dredge blew it up, so what's to stop them from blowing it up again? Like, this, this is just a point. You're gonna give everyone false hope, and then they're gonna get blown up as soon as they land on it again. And so that's when yeah. he would like kind of go back to his original plan. Like, you know what, Preed you're right. Let's just sell this. And then when uh, when Kale's like, I'm going to activate it. Sam's like, No, this will actually end humanity. This is not the hope you think it can work as long as the Dredger out there.
1: Yeah, and thus we I use that's... the Dredge as a battery source.
2: Exactly, and that can be. We could even have Kale figure that out uh, before. So we can have Preed and Corso turn on them at the same time, and then Kale figures out, wait, what if he uses the Dredge's energy? And Corso will be like, oh, that could work. And Preed's like, okay, well now I have to kill you too because you're not going along with the plan. And then we will have a graphic next snap in a children's movie. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, that was crazy. But yes, I I I like that. I think that's a good idea. I uh, I'm all about graphic next snaps in children's <laughs> movies, or and also the other things you said. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that works for me. I'm cool with that. I, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's there is no hope until, like, literally builds hope, builds hope, builds hope, and then realizes, oh, yeah, this doesn't work. Yeah, I, yeah. I like all the pieces that you said. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very clever. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we need to talk about plot anymore. Do you want to get into casting? I think so, yeah.
2: Hi, I'm Tanner. And I'm Lindsay. And together we host a podcast called Not If I Reboot You First.
1: It's a show where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood gets the chance to.
2: We also do adaptations and spinoffs and sequels, but everybody seems to call those reboots too.
1: It's everyone's favorite buzzword.
2: Sometimes we make something really good, like when we turn The Mummy into a proper pilot for the Dark Universe.
1: Sometimes things go bad and I drunkenly yell at J.K. Rowling for an hour. And sometimes it
2: gets really weird, and we time-crash the entire Mighty Ducks franchise into a single universe.
1: So join us every week for something that's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction.
2: Follow us on Twitter at niiryfpod. pod Those are the letters for the name of the show, and it's pronounced
1: niiryf I turned Princess Belle into Iron Man once.
0: Wait, what? So obviously I feel like we need to start with Kale. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I can start, then Lindsay, then Tanner, and then we'll kind of round-robin it uh, going forward. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. My kale... This movie is so white. And so, it like, I I have white people in my movie, too. So we didn't even talk about this. One of the things that we wanted to do that we kind of discussed ahead of time is that we're going to do, like, a live-action remake of Titan 80. Mm. Yes. Or at least a live-action blend with CG instead of a 2D animation blend with CG. Yeah
2: and my like my motivation for that at least was just the fact that don bluth animation is already so realistic especially with the humans that i'm not sure an a new animated movie would add that much to it mm-hmm. i think it would be more more interesting and more co- just cooler for fans of the movie to see things in live action with cg and with practical if that works some puppetry
0: and meanwhile i'm of the opinion that i don't think this movie made a a big enough impact <laughs> that it is memorable enough that i think we can take the pieces we want and take that and use that little bit of ip to get the ball rolling and then make a full movie and i think live action movies especially live action sci-fi movies tend to do a little bit better and they're not really making fresh brand new animated movies now and it it makes me sad because i have a couple to sell (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so like And also it's like, we're doing a remake of an animated movie. Like, the next step is obviously we do the live action remake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it works for 101 Dalmatians, let's go for it. I guess. Uh, So anyway, we're talking about Kale. So I wanted, um, I kind of aimed for early 20s. Like, they were really young when the planet blew up. It's been 15, 20 years. And now they're young adults. Mm -hmm. Um, So I found an actor who has done a bunch of, like voiceover stuff so like no matter how we end up doing this like whatever he has to do he's good with the acting part and he's good with the with the voiceover part he was like a disney kid he was in wizards of waverly place he was in the fosters he's diego from dora the explorer this is an actor named jake t austin oh i know
2: of this disney
0: actor okay nope
1: i haven't watched a disney teen thing in a long time okay i mean he was a child actor when he was on disney
2: Okay yeah, if you if you look at more recent photos, he does have more of a Kale Tucker vibe.
0: Like he, like he's Kale Tucker now as opposed to, you know, 4 years ago. And I I thought that because this is the sort of thing that would be kind of like, "Oh, we found this actor who's done other things, like a John Boyega type in that like it like he is known by some people, but now all of a sudden, boom, this is the big break." Like that's kind of how these things work. Yeah. Especially if you're trying to build a universe. Unless you're Marvel, you generally don't go for the most... Well, that's a lie. But you shouldn't go for the most recognizable person because you want people to be in your world. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I thought Jake T. Austin. Uh, Lindsay, who did you have?
1: Well, I have the obvious choice of Tom Holland, but I also thought of Asa Butterfield from Sex Education.
0: Cool. They're both so white. Go on.
1: And I couldn't really find a name, but I'm like... Any up-and-coming person of color, like, maybe also from Sex Education, because I have been watching that, uh, Nukuri Gatwa, and yeah, those are my choices. All right, interesting. Tanner, who did you have?
2: So here's the thing. I was literally going through, like, a celebrity website that was just a list of male actors in their 20s, and none of them were really sparking joy for me. (laughs) So I, I did a gender bend. And so I grabbed an actress who has been in Power Rangers and Charlie's Angels and the new Aladdin. I went with Naomi Scott.
0: Yeah, as soon as you said... uh... (laughs) I love Naomi Scott. I think Naomi Scott's a great choice. Uh, I have no problem going with Naomi Scott. Naomi Scott is also going to be in the new Bond movie. Naomi Scott's great. Naomi Scott is like the fact that she is not currently a list is like it is because a pandemic happened like it is pretty much yeah months away like <laughs> she is the next big a list star mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i honestly think having her be the lead of this movie is right like i have no problem with that and sapphics love her <laughs> um i'm even happy to go with that uh sight unseen but let's no, I'm, I'm, you know what fuck it naomi scott done I'm not gender-bending Akima, though. No. I didn't find any options to, even if I wanted to. Fair. I went first to the last one. Lindsay, you're up.
1: For Akima? Okay, so I will say I did kind of go for older, even though her character kind of reads younger. But, like, I was looking at, like, uh, Amy Okuda. She's on uh, The Man in the High Tower.
0: The Man in the High Castle?
1: Yeah, Man in the High Castle. God damn. What was I thinking?
0: Uh, Dark Tower.
1: Yeah, Dark Tower. Yeah.
2: I recognize her. She's- Definitely been in something I've seen. Say her name again.
1: Amy Okuda. O-K-U-D-A.
2: Oh, she was in How to Get Away with Murder in the second
0: season. That's where I recognize her from. Okay. I just recognize her from The Guild. Oh. The uh, the Felicia Day show. Oh, she was in The Guild.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Hmm.
0: That's what I recognize her from. That's fun. How old is she? She's 32.
1: Yeah, that's oh, why I'm like, she's a terrible. bit on the older side, but like, she looks pretty young in her photos.
0: Fair. That's a great choice. Tanner, who did you have?
2: I have an actress who her I don't know if she's been in much but her big role was in Runaways. I've got Lyrica Okano.
0: Why did you go with Lyrica Okano?
2: Because I was very hard to find Asian actresses in their 20s, so great job on that Hollywood. Um but also <laughs> she just has a very Akima vibe. Like even if we got away from the the counterculture aesthetic of the character, I think she would still carry herself with the same kind of swagger and she can also put a lot of the heart in like in the moments we need to when she can like be talking about earth and like her vague memories of it and like wanting a home again
0: yeah good that's also a great choice good on both of you (laughs) the actress that i found is she's been in she has a variety of different things that she that she's done um she was in the walking dead uh she's in santa clarita diet and she's you know nothing but zombie uh, content, but she's she was also in the Pretty Little Liars uh, spinoff. This actress is named Sydney Park. Right age, right demographic, and kind of able to play fun in a bunch of different ways. Uh, and I thought that this is an actress that I've never really seen come up on the podcast before. And I thought that just based on the comedy, the mix of comedy and drama, I think lends itself to the sort of sci-fi ness that we're going to. And that's why I kind of thought that she would be a fun choice. She's also the right age.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: I Yeah, I'm liking the look of her.
1: Yeah. Cool.
0: Then let's go with uh, Akim, uh, with uh, Sydney Park. I, so the next person on my... Actually, I would just go like, like to say,
2: if we, if we do Sydney Park, we should probably change Akima's surname, just because Sydney Park is Korean and not Japanese.
0: Agreed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, absolutely. I agree with that. I don't necessarily have another surname in mind, but I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the next person i have on my list is uh sam tucker kale's dad did either of you bother recasting this
2: i i did and i'm glad we went with my pick for kale because now my pick for sam continues to make sense i went with naveen andrews
0: tell me about naveen andrews
2: naveen andrews is if i remember correctly he was in lost and he was in once upon a time in wonderland and was probably in other bigger things but i'm pretty sure i've only ever oh he was in sensate
1: yes he's kind of floats around in that particular milieu
2: <laughs> got it um, he he also he kind of has the same timber in his voice as ron perlman um but i'm sure with the proper director he would be told to like emote and stuff
0: mm-hmm. yeah have have feelings and, and thoughts and and emotions yeah that's fair
1: oh i didn't know he was uh, not cool. patient
0: <laughs> yeah that's a fun choice i went with uh john Leguizamo because My uh, Jake T. Austin is uh, Latinx, and so is John Leguizamo. And uh, I know John Leguizamo is uh, the original goon in the movie, but I thought that it would be fun. And if anyone can bring emotions to an interesting character, it's John Leguizamo. Like, he doesn't get enough credit for being really cool and interesting people, Um, especially his weird clown thing in Spawn.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, my idea was to do kind of a gag cast and have uh, Matt Damon play Sam. Got it.
0: Interesting choice. I think we need to go with Naveen Andrews. Yeah, but yeah, I'm not opposed to that. <laughs> so that brings us to Corso. So Corso, um, I wanted someone who can play emotional and, and tough, but also fun. You know. Not carry himself like a slave and look at the way he stands. Probably ex-military, you know, someone like that. And also can be just straight up goofy. Like, let's say he's a monster made out of rocks, hypothetically. (laughs) So you're thinking Taika No, I'm thinking Michael Chiklis.
1: Okay. That is a good pick.
0: I agree. Thank you. Uh, he's, he's been in The Shield. He's Thing in the original Fantastic Four movies. He's in, He was in a, a short-run sitcom called No Ordinary Family. He is genuinely a fun and funny person, but he also gets to play these, like, tough guys. So he gets to walk that line really well for something like
2: yeah, this. Yeah, he has the range. I mean, I think, I guess you and me are the only people who watched No Ordinary Family, but, like, people don't give him credit for being able to bring the dad energy, which is something that this role would need.
0: Yeah, and not only did I watch An Ordinary Family, I did background in that show. Awesome. Ooh. Yeah, I was never visible. <laughs> <laughs> but I did make 64 sweet, sweet *No Ordinary Family dollars. <laughs> nice. Because I was background in that show before I was union.
2: You can buy one video game.
0: Yes, I can, without tax. Before tax. Uh, Lindsay, who did you have for Corso?
1: My thought was Daniel Craig. <laughs> because we've now seen him in a call com- in two comedies
0: yeah you, yeah I, I am not opposed to this choice i think that is a good choice <laughs> i mean that's great i, yeah, I love that idea and
1: they can... have we seen him in a sci-fi yet
0: i mean arguably james bond is a sci-fi
1: okay barring james bond <laughs> like an actual like in space sci-fi i
2: don't i don't think he's ever gone to space
1: <laughs> I, I
0: also don't think he's ever been a villain
1: No, he was a villain, but that was, like, before he was big. Fair. Yeah, in Road to Perdition. Got it. All right, I think that's an interesting choice.
0: Something to think about. Uh, Tanner, who did you have?
2: Um, So I also went with someone who has the power, he has the range to be big dad energy and can be goofy and is capable of being a tough guy, although he hasn't really had, like, the bad-ass tough guy roles very much, and also has been in a Marvel movie.
0: I went with Clark Gregg.
1: Oh!
0: I do love Clark Gregg. Clark Gregg is a strong choice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I love Clark Gregg so much. Oh, that's tough for me. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. no. All three of us brought something really good and all of them are really excellent choices. I, I will say I'm willing to take
2: girl. Clark Gregg off the table because I agree that all three of these bring the right kind of energy in different ways to this role and they could all easily work.
0: I So I agree that I think the one that I think fits... They're all good, but I think the one I would also take off the table first is Clark Gregg, as much as I love him. So in that case, I would say Tanner. Between Daniel Craig and Michael Chiklis, who would you pick?
2: Oh, don't don't make me choose! Don't make me choose between the podcast host and my best
0: friend. <laughs> I you mean, you could always
1: flip a coin.
0: <laughs> you could, but I mean, I I, I I've often uh, had to make up. Spouses choose between the podcast host and the person that they have uh, chosen to be married with to for a time. Married with two for a time.
2: <laughs> I love that sitcom.
0: <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm perfectly happy going with Daniel Craig, but also, th- just remember, Michael Chiklis is brilliant.
2: Michael Chiklis is brilliant, and maybe if I come on here again, I'll put Michael Chiklis in something, but I think I am going to go with Daniel Craig.
0: <sighs> Fine, you're fired. <laughs> good i love it all right great so then uh next up is preed Lindsay, who did you have for preed
1: yeah i'm gonna skip this one i'm I'm just thinking who can play slime ball
0: yeah if you don't have someone ahead of time don't worry about it so in that case tanner who did you have for preed
2: so i wasn't thinking i was not thinking about a slime ball for this because clearly they were not thinking of slime ball for this because in the original they cast nathan lane that is true so who, I was thinking, who is a sassy gay man who's capable of playing a perverted fruit bat? <laughs> and then I did research by checking in to watch Boys in the Band, and I came back and I said, yes, it is time for Jim Parsons to play a
0: perverted fruit bat. <laughs> wow, that is a choice. <laughs> That's bold, I'll give it to you. <laughs> it's uh, arguably
2: It is my second or third boldest choice on this list.
0: <laughs> I uh... Let me tell you about who I have, and then uh, Lindsay's got a tough choice to make. Like, um, so I went with, so this is the case where I went with someone who is, who, who plays Alien very well. Um, who plays, like, like we can't completely understand their decisions because I want, like, the preed that we have now is so gross and weird that we're like, that's a bad dude. And I want to go with someone who, like, we, we don't really know what he's thinking until he tells us. Uh, so this is a guy who's been in Stranger Things. He was in the uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. I know him from Agents of Shield. Uh, it is an actor named Joel Stauffer, Stoffer. S
1: T O F F E R. Oh yeah. Oh.
0: Oh yeah. I like this guy. Yeah. And like, and that's the thing, like, because you wouldn't ex- like you both expect and don't expect a betrayal from him because it's it. it, it I think he's really good and interesting, and I think he would bring a different kind of like energy. Like, I don't think we want the manic energy. I think we want, you just can't read this guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's got a tough to read face.
0: Yeah. I would push for Joel Stauffer over Jim Parsons. However, that choice does fall to Lindsay.
1: You know what? I'm going to go with Joel Stauffer, especially for doing practical effects. I think. Yeah. The, yes. I agree. The thing with, with Jim too. Parsons is that if if it was decided that preed was going to be CGI, like full cgi or like mostly like say motion capture the sure. the selling point would be the voice but with joel stoffer if we're going with practical effects for his look yeah then, yeah
2: and i was like i was thinking that preed would be like best with um prosthetics
1: yeah
0: yeah,
2: I, I, I agree with that as well. And I think this is going to be a compliment. I think Joel Stoffer has a good head for prosthetics.
0: <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> it, it, yeah, absolutely.
2: I think it, I think um, if you cool. put him on Jim Parsons, it would just look like Jim Parsons dressed as a fruit bat.
0: <laughs> yes. And I feel like if we have Jim Parsons as an alien, there'd be some weird push to make the planet he comes from the Bazinga planet or the Bazinga galaxy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, or his species be Bazingas. And
1: we can't have
0: that. This is Titan no. A.E. This is serious. This is correct.
1: <laughs> this is a serious sci-fi movie for serious sci-fi fans.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Cool. All right, great. Then let's talk about, uh, Janine Garofalo.
0: I mean, Stiff. <laughs> uh lindsey did you have someone for Stith?
1: janine garofalo
0: <laughs> fair so i wanted someone i so the Stith we have in the movie is like inherently fierce but genu- genuinely sweet mm-hmm. and i wanted someone who can kind of like do kind of that that blend of we see her and we expect someone scarier than she actually is and but at the end of the day is uh genuinely a nice person. And also I went with someone who has voiceover experience and kind of like do the blend, prosthetic, whatever, CG. She's been in Disaster Artist. She's been in Superstore. Her name is Lauren Ash, and she is the voice of Scorpia in She-Ra. Oh,
2: I Ooh. love Lauren Ash. Oh, that would be really good. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. Yeah. And you know, like I like stuff that she would Stith would have to be CG or motion capture, just because of she has so much lag.
1: <laughs> like her eyes, that that really sells it for me.
2: And and I will say, as an avid Superstore fan, she does sound
0: similar to Gina hmm Yeah, I agree. I I was very happy with this choice. But tell me who you two have. Um,
2: I okay. I, th- I think this is the most capital C choice I have on my list. I have someone who has also done some voice acting experience. She's not like a uh, uh, like um a professional voice actor, but she has been lauded for her voice acting in it, and she does have the ability to play both a hard ass and someone who is caring. I picked Patti LuPone.
0: Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay.
2: Ma- mainly for her role as Yellow Diamond on Steven Universe. <laughs> Got it. I, yeah, I, that, that was the, the best one I could think of, other because I also almost won the Gene Garofalo.
0: <laughs> Fair. I mean... Patty Lapone is a great choice, and I think that I think that if we were like, I think unfortunately you shot yourself in the foot a little bit with Patty LuPone.
2: Because she's too big.
0: No. I think and I'm I'm characterizing and I'm judging, and this is wrong, nonetheless. I think if this was just an animated movie, I think you're right and she would be the correct choice. However, because we're theoretically doing this live action. I think if you're making an action movie, there need to be action sequences, and unfortunately, I think Patty LePone just might be too old. Well, so again, I feel like oh no, yeah. Well,
2: so here's She's the thing: Laura Nash. I don't. I don't think Laura Nash would be pulling the stiff stunts either, because it's like if you ha- if, if listeners, if you haven't seen Treasure Planet. Stith is basically a giant kangaroo woman, but like mostly leg.
1: Yeah,
0: right. And I don't I don't see that. Like I don't like obviously I think you should we should hire stunt people and stunt people should work. But I think if you need to have a sequence where they are running, Lauren Ash can do that and I I don't think Patty LuPone can.
2: Y- yeah, I guess that's fair. And we can, we can also because the other thing I was saying is Lauren Ash is a bigger woman. We can just make Stith a bigger woman too. Because most of her attacks yeah. is just throwing her legs everywhere. And there's no way we're fitting a human in those legs.
0: No, and the other thing I said that I, but I think I cut out for this is we don't need to have the same kinds of aliens. We, I That's, think we should have a Stith, but she doesn't need to be a kangaroo alien. I feel,
2: I feel like if you get too far away from the original designs, though... I mean, I I know you said that... And this is me speaking for all seven of us Titan AE fans. But I feel like if, <laughs> if, if you stray too far away from the original like, alien designs, then it's not the same movie anymore.
1: Well, on top of what we could do stuff. with Stith is just give her a bit of a redesign. She, her legs don't have to be as exaggeratedly big as they were in the animated movie. That's true.
2: That's also true.
1: And real-life kangaroos, like, yeah, they've got massive legs, but they're not that big.
2: They are normal-sized it- murder legs.
1: <laughs> and the other thing is that, like, uh,
0: Stith is a kangaroo person... And they chose to emphasize the legs. We can make her a kangaroo person and emphasize the pockets.
2: Oh, yeah. she has pockets full of guns because she's the munitions
0: experts. Yeah, <laughs> just like she just literally just a an alien covered in pockets.
1: She's the she's the little embodiment of that one joke where they're they're like going through the uh, metal detectors and she's got to take out all of her weapons, all of them.
0: Yeah. And they still don't find all of them because she's got pockets and pockets, baby. <laughs> yeah.
2: See, now I'm just, I'm just thinking of the scene from Ultraviolet where it's like detecting weapons in Hammerspace. Dude. Many.
0: <laughs> yeah. But for for those reasons, I kind of want to go with Lauren Ash for this one. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you on
2: Lauren Ash. Yeah. You, you've won me over. It cool. wasn't that hard, but you won me over.
0: All right. So then we got to talk about Goon. Goon! I, I feel like I'm
2: the only person who likes Goon. <laughs>
0: I, are, are you kidding? Goon's the best guy. character in this okay, movie. Okay, good. Yeah. good.
2: We We all get to remain friends. because I. Okay, so Lindsay, you went and watched an SF Debris review. I yeah. went and watched an Il Nege review. Oh. and And he was hating on Goon the entire movie.
0: Why? Goon is
2: the best! To, to, to be fair, it was ten years ago, and that was when all the internet reviewers were trying to be a, just a carbon copy of Nostalgia Critic, so...
0: ah, uh, I don't even like Nostalgia Critic.
2: <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Anyways, yes, Goon. We all we all support Goon.
1: Yes, uh, Lindsay. Uh, we do you have someone for Goon? Uh, not really. John Leguizamo did a really good job with the with his voice. Um,
0: he really, really did.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for Goon, I went with an actual voice actor. Um, mm-hmm. Although, to be fair, I feel like he could do Goon if we did prosthetics. Or if he was just doing voiceover for a puppet. And in my mind, I do see Goon as like a full-on Farscape style puppet. My Goon <laughs> my Goon is Sungwon Cho. Also known on the internet as ProZD. Say
0: that name again?
2: Sungwon, like past tense of Sing, and then past tense of Win, all one word, and then Cho, C-H-O.
0: From Court of Owls. So he's mostly a voiceover actor.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. like that's what the, He is an Got actual it. voice actor who can do the Goon voice.
0: Got it. All right. Interesting choice. Interestingly, we went to similar routes. I also cast an actor of Asian descent. Uh, However, I cast one who has appeared on screen. He's been in Crazy Rich Asians. He also has been in Superstore and was in Paul Blart 2, Nico Santos. And you'll notice he also has very large glasses. (laughs) (laughs) I have done, I have made casting choices that will force you to make hard choices.
1: Also depends on Go- what we're gonna do with Goon to visually represent. I mean, at the end him. of the day,
0: yes. But at the end of the day, I went with someone who like can do the comedy. Like I, I want the comedy. That's what Goon is. Goon is there to be funny and weird. So I would
2: argue that I also cast a guy who can do comedy because oh, he's. I agree. <laughs> and also, like I feel like he could get closer to the Goon voice. And like I don't, th- I don't think Nico Santos. The, hmm, how do how do I, spell it? I I feel like Nico Santos doesn't carry himself the same way that Sung Wong could in this role. N-
0: n- I n- mean, I don't know Sung Wang Kun, so I or Sung won Show, so I don't have any idea what you're talking about.
2: He have you have you seen the like his YouTube sketches at all? Or, like when he's under the name ProZD? I haven't. Okay. That's, oh, so, that, so, that's he,
0: he, so he has done on-screen acting. He has like, done he on-screen acting. He has
2: done comedy. Like, I I don't know if great. Nico Santos could get into the mindset of Goon, because Goon is just, he's a lethal creature. So.
0: All I needed to know was that he has done more than just voiceover. Like, like because we talked and, like, we're doing live action, like, we need them to be able to do live action. If he's done sketches and, like, visual stuff, then great. Oh, yeah. Some show sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah, then I got no problem with that.
1: Yeah. We'll go with Song Moncho.
0: Uh So the only other like actory role I have is Queen Dredge. Uh, do either of you have a role that hasn't been covered?
2: I have. I have Tech. I have the chef, and I have Drifter Girl.
0: <laughs> I only have Chef on there
2: is because he was like one of the few other people who was credited in the film.
0: Yeah, I saw that. It was weird. Yeah. You have you have Tech and Chef and who was the third one? Oh, and Drifter Girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's Drifter Girl?
2: She, so she is the girl who uh, Kale comes across after Akeem has been injured. Oh, and like during the... she's the
0: one who has this like heartfelt thing. Is like my little brother sure does love soccer. Anyway, goodbye forever. Well, you, we also see a glimpse of her
2: arriving at planet Bob at the end.
0: <laughs> yeah, but Kale doesn't.
2: Still, I think I think it is an important sequence because I, I do think that the like the them getting away from Corso and getting to the Drifter colony and building the ship I think that is also an important like m- sequence in the plot.
0: I think it's an important sequence, but I think we need to have it earlier. I think we need to have it when like to convince any character to come around to start going on the mission not like the last stop before the fi- the finale she
2: she could show up in the same sequence where they're like finding the crew and she'd be like i i wouldn't join you because i have to take care of my little brother and i'm obviously not going to bring him along but like there's this weird girl who has a whole bunch
0: of earth memorabilia yeah and good that's how i they think find a i think that's perfect i think that's amazing let's do that so since we're talking about her drifter girl who did you have for the role i picked uh marci martin Who's most notable from Blackish?
2: Oh, okay. And she's on the younger side; she's only sixteen, and like that was the main selling point: was that I wanted a younger girl who, like, specifically younger than the Kale actor, who can be like, "I'm a child, and I'm precocious, and I'm going to inspire you to have hope in humanity." Good, I love it. I think that's a great
0: choice. Uh, you also had the the chef and Tech. Tech is the guardian guy. Yeah, he's the kind
2: of sort of adoptive dad alien who, okay. in, in this one, we're actually killing instead of just like, go away, Kale. It's, it's time for you to do plot.
1: <laughs>
2: um, so, and for him, for him, I picked Keith David because that's a recognizable voice. And it's like, we only have him in the recording booth for half an hour. Just go.
0: I mean, Keith David's a strong choice. Like, you cast Keith David, you think he's going to stick around. Exactly. Are you really going to break people's hearts by murdering Keith David? Yes. <laughs> 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 All right fine we will murder keith david i wrote keith david for his name instead of tech for his name <laughs> and then the chef i mean the chef is nothing the,
2: the chef is a joke because it's a cockroach and he's a chef and he's like oh the humans are dirty in my
0: kitchen oh i thought he was a cricket a cockroach makes more sense that's a way better joke yeah i don't um, know some
1: random comedian who's got like half an hour
0: <laughs> well, I I was I was thinking.
2: You know what else is funny in a kitchen is rats in a kitchen. You know who's a funny rat? Rizzo. Who's the voice of Rizzo? Rizzo. It's Steve Whitmire. Here you go, Steve Whitmire.
0: <laughs> I was I swore you were gonna go go with Patton Oswalt. No, <laughs> well, Patton Oswald
2: could always work, and you wouldn't expect Patton Oswald to get gooped like in the first half hour either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> S- say the name of the person you did go with. Steve Whitmire. Whitmire. He's just the the most. The longest running voice of Rizzo the Rat, the Muppet.
0: Oh, got it. That's very
1: funny. Yeah, now I can hear it. I can hear him. I, I mean, we don't have, have anything much.
0: else, so we have to go with these. Like, that's the rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm winning. Uh, and then, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so did you have anyone for Queen Dredge? I did have one
2: for Susquehanna, which is apparently her name, the novelization. Wow.
0: All right, you, who did you have for her?
2: So the reason I went with this is because when I was watching this with my parents, I have this memory of like when the Dredge Queen showed up and my mom leading to my dad behind me, and she goes, oh, she's like the Borg Queen. And that meant nothing to me at age seven. But now I'm like, why not just have the Borg Queen as the Dredge Queen? So I have
0: Alice Kriege, or Alice Kriege? You and I had very, very similar thought processes. Because while I'm not... I, I'm not really a Trek person, and I, I haven't spent that much time watching um, these Star Treks. I did say, hey, you know, she's a lot like uh, that weird computer hologram lady in She-Ra. And uh, I wonder who plays that. And I'm going to insist we go with this uh, this actress because she has the coolest name and the most Queen Dredge name I've ever seen because she's also in Destiny 2. She's Call of Duty Black Ops. Like, she plays this sort of character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her name is Morla Gorondana. She has a sci-fi name, if ever I've heard it. Yeah. And it's fun to say. and I, and, and also, it's like, it's the same basic idea as what you're saying. But I said it, so we're going to go with it. I mean, since
2: I just kind of hit the jackpot <laughs> with all these minor characters, I feel like I have to give this to you.
0: I mean, that is not true yeah. at all. Can I just say um, that
1: I did come up with a possible judge queen?
0: Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Lindsay.
1: Gillian Anderson.
0: Ooh. Uh, tell us why you want to go with Gillian Anderson.
1: Well, okay. So I'm thinking the voice is going to be like synthesized and all that. Gillian Anderson has worked in sci-fi. She's also done a bit of voiceover work as Moro from Princess Mononoke, the giant wolf goddess. And to me, that voice was, like, a mixture of, like, kind of creepy, but also very authoritative. Because she's basically playing a god. And for whatever reason, the the Dredge Queen might be a god? Who knows? I mean, basically. So why not have someone who played a god? Yeah, that's
0: a strong argument. But is her name as fun to say <laughs> as Morlo Garandana? <laughs> fine that we'll go with jillian so- anderson you're correct you had a good choice jillian anderson fine <laughs> one more time just for me though morla gorandana <laughs> all right we can move on uh so that brings us to writer and director now i have a separate writer and director do either of you happen to have a hyphen in It. i have separate as well
1: i have no idea Lindsay? okay
0: yeah. then Tanner, tell me about your writer, then I'll tell you about my writer and my director, and then we'll bounce back to you for director. Sound
1: okay. good? Okay.
2: You know what? Okay, so I said, I said Patty LuPone was my most capital C choice, but actually, no, I think this one is my most capital C choice. I was trying to find a sci-fi writer. For the, this was, like, for both writer and director. I was trying to find someone who has worked with sci-fi and someone who has worked with sci-fi and someone who has dealt with themes of, like, humanity and, like, losing hope and finding it again and that kind of stuff. And I think my director choice makes more sense than my writer choice. But my writer choice, I picked Rebecca Sugar. Okay. Bold choice. Ver- yeah, I know. I know. She She's the writer of Steven Universe.
0: The expectation then is that you're going to have songs in Titan AE, which I'm not opposed to.
2: Hey, Rebecca Sugar, what kind of butt rock do you like?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could go the route of Generation Kill where like you don't actually have music playing, but you have them kind of acapella singing to keep themselves entertained.
2: <laughs> it's it's a spaceship they're singing sea shanties
1: <laughs> they're singing teenage dirt
0: bag such a thing exists as the electric ukulele <laughs> Ak-
2: Akiva <laughs> yes. comes on and teaches them how to do a sea, sh- a sea shanty version of a teenage dirt bag <laughs>
0: yeah. wow Old. I'm going to preemptively say no. <laughs> that makes sense. That's fair. So the writer that I have is uh, a very well-regarded sci-fi writer. He he worked on Lost. He worked on C-Lab 2020. Uh, he worked on Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Oh. He's I think he's showrunning or working on the new Cowboy Bebop reboot. He's done stuff. Uh, his name is Javier grigio watch. He is... A great actor, and what you two will appreciate is that he is also a podcaster.
2: Okay, but like, who isn't a podcaster these days? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, so many b- Rebecca
2: Sugar. I typed in the wrong name and it redirected me to a footballer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, he, he, like this is one of the ones where I was like, yeah, it has to be him. Like he has exactly the credentials we want for something.
2: No, yeah, like that this. that makes sense. Uh, like Titan A.E. definitely has the same aesthetic, like the same kind of used future parts.
0: Yeah. And like I picked these like he's done other stuff, but I picked Lost, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, and Cowboy Bebop because you combine those three things and you have what we want for our Titan AE. Yeah.
2: Also, he's worked with Naveen Andrews before. Also, yes. That
0: is true. I mean he's worked with a lot of different people.
2: Yes. He's, but, he's a very cool. But fan. all those people aren't in our cast.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> cool. So then I'm gonna tell you about my director. Okay. Um so for my director, uh, I wanted someone who could kind of handle like because I got a very clever writer. I wanted someone who can kind of handle the action sequences and has done kind of the sci-fi action-y kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a director who worked on one of the segments for Love, Death, and Robots. He also was the director for Terminator Dark Fate, which I actually maintain is an excellent movie and is a lot of fun. And I thought the direction of it was very good. He also was the director behind Deadpool. This, this guy's name is Tim Miller. Okay. And I just thought he'd be a fun choice.
2: I mean, yeah. If he if he did Terminator, that's definitely a good choice.
1: Mm-hmm. Like my
2: to? my director, I already explained like my mindset behind finding the director and the writer. My director makes more sense. To my writer, though, because um, he worked on a Star Wars. He worked on Rogue One. He also worked on Knives Out. It's Ryan Johnson. Yeah,
0: yeah. You, you know he didn't. You know that he didn't work on Rogue One. Oh,
2: right. Suit. Right. No, he did Last Jedi. I got the two good Star Wars movies
0: mixed up. Rogue One's not that good. Um... <gasps> okay, I'm ending the call. <laughs> It's really not. But uh, Last Jedi is excellent. And I love Knives Out. And I have been trying to get uh, Ryan Johnson on an episode for a while. And now someone else recommends him. So I'm going to happily go with Ryan Johnson. No arguments from me. That's great. And I didn't have to recommend him. (laughs) Cool. That's our cast. Let me take you through what we've got. Titan (laughs) A-E... Titan A-E-A-T... Titan after Earth after Titan A. <laughs> Kale is going to be played by Naomi Scott. Akima is going to be Sydney Park. Sam Tucker, uh, Carl Kale's dad, is going to be Naveen Andrews. Corso is going to be Daniel Craig. Preed is going to be Joel Stoffer. Stith will be Lauren Ash. Goon will be Sung uh, Sungwan Cho. Uh, the Drifter Girl will be Marseille Martin. Tech will be Keith David. The Chef Cricket Cockroach Guy will be Steve Whitmire. Her Royal Majesty Queen Dredge will be Gillian Anderson. All of this will be written by Javier Grigio-Marxwatch and then directed by Ryan Johnson. That is our Titan AE remake. Lindsay, Tanner, you gonna go
2: re- see this movie? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll be blasting the original yeah. soundtrack the whole drive there.
0: <laughs> Great. Uh, you're gonna be looking at so many photographs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, there's, there's no Nickelback on Titan A.E. Let's get one thing clear.
1: <laughs> no, as I said, there's some good kind of sort of butt rock. <laughs>
0: uh, for, you'll have to uh, have an episode where you reboot butt rock. <laughs> <laughs> and also explain, because I still don't completely understand what it is. But that's fine. So, Lindsay, Tanner, thank you both being, uh, for being guests uh, on Ideal Remake. Why don't you tell us once again about your podcast, podcasts, all the things you want people to to do for you.
2: Lindsay you go first cuz I have more things than you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is true. So you can catch us on Not if I reboot you first where we reboot stuff before Hollywood has has a chance to it's a little bit like brainstorming fan fiction. Tanner and I are also on uh Pokemon Adventures in the Millennium. It's an actual play podcast. Tanner is our uh GM and I play Bell and we're traveling through the Sinnoh region doing fun stuff. Nice.
2: And it is a cussing podcast, so don't make sure your children know that before they listen.
1: Yeah. Parental guidance is advised.
0: Yes. Um, Oh, man. Look at this fucking snubble. Look (laughs) at this snubble over here.
1: Look at this fucking snubble.
0: snubble.
2: It's adorable. eh?
0: (laughs) It's not even a Sinnoh Pokemon. (laughs) Sorry. Um, And Lindsay, uh, social media.
1: Um, I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym four seven six. That's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you?
2: Uh, so you can find me <laughs> on Sparky Upstart on Twitter, and then for our podcast, you can find Notify you First at n i y r y f pod. Those are the letters for the podcast, and you can't pronounce them because they're pure energy. And then our Pokemon Adventures <laughs> in the Millennium that Twitter is at p k m n underscore Millennium. And then I have a third podcast called Loser Like Me, where me and my friend Christina go through every episode of Glee. And then during the interim, we also watch the Smurfs movie, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) We have just recently started watching the second season for our show. And also, uh, not to part the kimono too much, but we have managed to rope Sam into being on an episode in the future.
0: Yes, I will be there at some point in, I think it was August...
2: Oh no! It was well into December, and because of like time shenanigans, it may have been pushed to January. But we'll find out when we get there.
0: <laughs> I'm available.
2: <laughs> um, and that, All right, great. That's podcast is on Twitter at Loser Like Me Pod.
0: Uh, cool. Um, if you're interested in following me on Twitter, I am at Sam S A M G A S C H, or you can follow the podcast Ideal Remake on Twitter or Instagram, or join us on Facebook, uh, Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake Podcast. But the best thing you can do for my podcast, for Lindsay's podcast, for one of Tanner's many podcasts, Mm -hmm. is to go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It's very helpful. Every podcaster asks for this because every podcaster holds a secret dream in their heart that someone will follow through. And interestingly, Mm -hmm. the, the ratings are different depending on what country you're in. So if I leave a review for Not If I Reboot You First, neither Tanner nor Lindsay will ever see it. And I did, and they didn't. Yeah, you're going to have to screenshot
2: that and email it to us.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, But, (laughs) Uh, so we did it. We remade Titan AE in such a perfect way that we will end with this. Lindsay, Tanner, what is your favorite quote from the movie Titan AE?
1: Their quotes? (laughs) Oh, yes. You can't make deals with pure energy. It's a good one.
0: I finished my nap. Who's your daddy? Ha ha! Goons, your daddy! Excellent. (laughs) And my favorite, of course, is, huh, an intelligent guard. Wouldn't have expected that.